Lord Jesus, thank you for loving us with such an incredible love. Amen. Normally, I would invite you to open your Bible to one of the Gospels because each of the four Gospels describe the crucifixion of Jesus, each giving various details. And when you put them all together, you get the full picture. But I'm not going to do that today because the movie clip you just saw depicts vividly and accurately what actually happened to Jesus when he was crucified. So often we attempt to sterilize, to to clean up the death of Jesus. No, he died, but we we try to minimize how, how horrible it really was. But Jesus died a real death and he suffered tremendously. Nails were driven through each of his wrists. They were driven through his feet. A spear was thrust into his side. Thorns were pushed into his scalp. People did spit on him and hurl abuse at him. And he suffered a very painful, very cruel death. It was very, very real. But this morning, I don't want to focus so much on Jesus' pain and suffering and death as I want to focus on his love and the forgiveness he offers and how it's demonstrated not only in his dying on the cross for all of us, but we see Jesus choosing to to love and forgive people who who were there in that moment, who were doing bad things to him. And that's not an easy thing to do. I mean, people are killing you. People are hurting you. I mean, they're abusing you, and you choose to love them. You choose to forgive them. That's, that's not easy. This morning I was reading some more details about the crash of that German plane into the Alps, you know, the one that uh, the, the, the co-pilot intentionally flew into the, to the French Alps, killing everyone on board earlier this week. The pilot had gone out to use the restroom. They locked the cockpit door, and when he came back, knocked on it. No answer. The co-pilot wouldn't let him in. They released this morning some of the the transcripts from from the voice recorder, and and they could hear the pilot knocking and 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 with every passing moment, more loudly saying, "Let me in!" Trying to get in, and finally taking an axe and chopping on the door, trying to break back in to to save everyone's life. And the co-pilot committing suicide, breathing like normal, kills everybody by flying the plane into the mountain. Can't you imagine this morning that all over this world are men and women who lost family members on that plane that have all kinds of emotions running through their body when they not only think about their loved one who is dead, but they think about that co-pilot who murdered them in cold blood? who the only, the only way he knew to deal with his own pain and his own struggles, whatever they, whatever they were, were was, was to kill innocent people. Uh, can you imagine that, that, that man in Virginia whose wife and daughter died in that crash? Can you imagine all he's thinking and all he's feeling this morning toward that co-pilot? I imagine there are people all over this world who are, who are feeling anger and uh, hatred as well as confusion and grief. It's not easy to love people who hurt you. It's not easy to forgive those who intentionally cause you to suffer. And yet Jesus is dying a very painful death on the cross. 
And in that moment, he chooses love, forgiveness for us, for me, for you, but also for those who were there that day. You see his love being shown toward those who actually nailed him on the cross. In Luke 23, Jesus, as you saw depicted in the movie, prayed, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. The men who drove those nails into his wrists, forgive them. The religious people who plotted to have him executed, forgive them. Those who spit in his face, laughed at him and hurled abuse at him, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You see Jesus offering forgiveness to the very people who were causing him such pain. You see Jesus' love and forgiveness offered to those who were crucified with him. As you know from the story, two men, two thieves crucified, one on either side. One of them looks to Jesus and says, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says to him, Today, not only will you die, but today you will be with me in paradise. Death is not the end. It's simply the transition into something so much better. Today, you will be with me, Jesus says to him, in paradise. And hanging there on the cross in his suffering, he has time to care for the one. Not just dying for all, but caring about that one man during Jesus' most painful moment of existence. He chooses to love the one, to forgive and save the one. To sinners everywhere throughout history, in Matthew 27, the Bible tells us that from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon the land until the ninth hour. We know that Jesus was nailed to the cross somewhere around 9 o'clock in the morning. The sixth hour be noon, and at noon the sky turned dark. And it stayed that way for three hours. And during that darkness, Jesus cried out with a a loud voice, the Bible says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He wasn't giving up hope. He wasn't giving up on the Father. He was turning to the promises of Scripture because he quotes the first verse of Psalm 22, which is a psalm of prophecy about the coming Messiah and his suffering, but how it ends with victory and hope, knowing that there would be a moment of separation See, on that cross, Jesus suffered physical pain, but he suffered so much more than that. Darkness, three hours of darkness. In Scripture, darkness is a symbol of evil, a symbol of sin. And there was incredible evil, there was incredible sin at the cross. The Bible says that he, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us. As on that cross, my sin was dumped on him. Your sin was dumped on him. Every person in this room had their sin 
dumped on him. Every person that has lived is alive and will live. Their sin was dumped on him, and he became sin for us. There was evil at that cross. It was my evil, your evil, my sin, your sin. Everything you've ever done that was wrong was dumped on Jesus. Every thought you've ever had of which you're ashamed was dumped on Jesus. Everything you failed to do that would be embarrassing if others knew was placed on Jesus. There was darkness, there was evil, there was sin dumped on Jesus at the cross. And it's during these three hours of darkness that his greatest suffering occurred. It wasn't the nails through the wrist or feet. It wasn't having people spit in his face. It wasn't the lashes with a whip that tore the flesh from his, skip, from his back. The greatest suffering of Jesus was during those three hours of darkness when he said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For he became sin and for the first time knew separation from his father. His greatest suffering was spiritual. Can you imagine if after this service someone comes up to you, you know them, but you know you're not really close to them, but you know them. They come up to you and they say, you know something? I don't like you, and I don't want to speak to you again. I don't want to ever see you again. I don't want to ever have anything to do with you. How would you feel? It would be awkward, but you'd get on with life, but it would be weird. You wouldn't like it. You wouldn't enjoy it. Imagine you go home today, and unexpectedly your wife or your husband, your mom or your dad, your son or your daughter comes to you at the dinner table says, I just got to tell you, I don't like you. I don't love you anymore. I don't want anything to do with you anymore. Don't ever talk to me again. I'm gone. It's done. We're over. Bye. See, the greatest hurt, the greatest pain is felt. When relationships are broken with those we care about the most, we love the deepest and we've been with the longest. I've seen men and women who are in their 70s and 80s, been married for 50, 60 years, and their spouse dies, and and, and they know it's time and that's the way of life and they're in heaven, but there's a deep, deep wound. There's a deep, deep hurt because you can't love someone for six decades and not feel it when they die. God the Father, God the Son, together for eternity. The Father and Son together before there was, as we understand it, time. Before, as we understand it, the beginning. Forever, God the Father, God the Son, and now in those three hours of darkness, for the first time in eternity, there's separation. I don't understand how that works. I don't understand how it how it happens. I just know Scripture says He became sin for us, 
and there was darkness. And my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There was brokenness as he bore the penalty for my sin and your sin. Is our sin that separates us from God? Just this wrong decision separate us from loved ones in life. It's our sin that separates us from God for eternity in hell, a place of suffering. And yet Jesus said, I love you so much, I'm willing to have my fellowship with the Father broken and become sin for you so you could be reconciled and healed. What a love. While he hangs on a cruel cross. His love for all humanity, for me, for you, for everyone. John's gospel in chapter 19, verse 30, tells us that at the end of those three hours, Jesus said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He died. It is finished, Jesus said. Every prophecy in the Old Testament regarding the Messiah has been been fulfilled. It is finished, His suffering, both physical and spiritual, are over. It is finished. The time of separation from his father is at an end. It is finished. He's paid in full the debt for your sin and my sin. It is finished. His life as he dies for us, for me. And for you, on the cross, Jesus shows love and forgiveness for all humanity, for everyone in this room and everyone watching by television. On the cross, Jesus shows love and forgiveness to those who drove the nails in his body, gambled over his clothing, and to the thieves who were crucified beside him. It wasn't easy, but he did what love does. And he did what throughout his ministry leading up to that cross, he had taught those who would follow him to do. Would you open your Bible to Matthew 5? I want to remind us of some things Jesus said, some things he taught. And help us see how Jesus in the darkest moment of his existence practiced what he preached. In Matthew chapter 5, look at what Jesus said in verses 23 and 24. He said, Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. In a few moments we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. The Bible teaches that every time we as Christians observe the Lord's Supper we are to examine our lives, allow the Holy Spirit to to critique us, if you will, so we can repent of sin, so we can make the commitments we need to make, so we can get right with God where we're wrong. Are there people you're angry with? Are there people you're not willing to forgive or ask God to help you, enable you, empower you to forgive? Are there people you're treating wrong? 
you're taking advantage of in some way? Jesus said, make it right. Make it right. Did Jesus practice on the cross what he preached? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Look in chapter 5 at verses 43 and 44. Jesus said, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Did Jesus practice what he preached? Do you pray for the people you're angry with? See, it's really difficult to treat someone wrong when you genuinely pray for them. It's it's difficult to take vengeance on someone when you pray for them. Jesus said, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you, those who don't understand you, those who hurt you. Did, Did Jesus on the cross do what he had told us to do? Look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. He said, if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Wow, that's tough. That's tough. It's not easy for us as Christians to always forgive people, is it? But we are to pray and ask God to work in our lives so that we can. God God never says as a disciple, it's okay for you to accept hatred in your heart. God never says it's okay for you to settle and say, I'm justified in always being angry and taking vengeance. It's not easy. But a disciple seeks the help of God to live out the teachings of Christ. And I ask you again, on the cross, did Jesus practice what he preached? Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. In everything, therefore treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. Our human nature says to treat people how they treat us. Jesus said treat people the way you want them to treat you. On the cross, Jesus treated the people who were crucifying him better than they were treating him. He practiced what he preached. Do we? In Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 and 22, look at what Jesus said. Then Peter came and said to him, said to Jesus, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times 70, the the divine number of seven, the perfect number, just, just an infinite amount of forgiveness. I've sinned against Jesus More than seven times. You've sinned against Jesus more than seven times. I've sinned against Jesus more than 490 times. You've sinned against Jesus more than 490 times. How many times has he forgiven you? Does Jesus practice what he preached? And yet we sometimes justify our animosity toward others. 
our unwillingness to allow God to work in our lives and grow us in love and Christ-likeness. Look in Matthew chapter 23 at something else Jesus said. Verse 11. The greatest among you shall be your what? What church? Servant. As Jesus was nailed to the cross, whose needs was he serving? Whose interest was he serving? His own or ours? Did Jesus practice what he preached? In John 13, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Did Jesus practice what he preached? Did he show love? In John 15, Jesus said, Greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. Jesus went beyond that and laid down his life for those who were enemies toward him those who were hostile toward him. The bottom line is on the cross when Jesus is showing love and forgiveness to everyone as well as those who were literally physically present that day, he is practicing what he preached for us to do. And there are some takeaways for us. One is that loving, forgiving, and serving others is a choice. In this sermon series, we've said that submitting to the will of God, as Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane, is a choice. We said that obeying the Word of God, as Jesus did when He was arrested, is a choice. We said that Claiming who we are, owning who we are as a disciple of Jesus Christ, no matter the circumstances, just as Jesus owned who he was when asked during his trial, are you the Son of God? And he said, I am. That owning who we are, no matter what, as followers of Christ, this is who I am, and this is the one I belong to. I'm a follower of Christ. Owning that is a choice. And loving and serving and forgiving is a choice. But a second takeaway is that circumstances do not dictate or determine a disciple's choice. On the cross, Jesus was in the midst of horrible circumstances. Humanly, we would look at his experience and say he would be justified in forgiving none of them and not loving any of them. Circumstances do not determine our choices as Christians. The third takeaway is that Jesus gave himself on that cross for us, for me and for you. He he did all of this for you. And a fourth takeaway takeaway is that each of us, me, you, needed and still need the sacrifice that he made on that cross because of love. We need it. I'm a sinner. You are a sinner. All of sin then comes short of the glory of God. And I needed Jesus to die on that cross. You needed Jesus to die on that cross for my sin, for your sin. And the final takeaway is this. We have to respond 
to what Jesus did on that cross. You know, one of the uh, world leaders who's causing a lot of trouble today is Vladimir Putin, the, the president of Russia. Problems in the Ukraine, other world problems. He's acting like a bully and making the world less stable and safe. Vladimir Putin's mom was a Christian in a communist country. He was not a Christian. He was a young communist. And his mom, when he was young, gave him a cross. And for years, he hid it in a jewelry box. Then his mom died. Started wearing it under his clothing to help him remember her love, just a memorial, if you will, to his, to his mom. His house burned and the cross was lost. He sent one of his henchmen to pilfer through the rubbish looking for it, and after a, a very thorough su- search, they found it. And when this man came to Putin, he held out his closed hand, turned it over and opened it and revealed the cross. Vladimir Putin was telling this story to President Bush. And he said to President Bush, it was as if something meant for me to have the cross. The cross of Jesus was meant for Vladimir Putin. The cross of Jesus was meant for George W. Bush. The cross of Jesus was meant for Steve Hogg. The cross of Jesus was meant for you and for everyone watching on television. The cross of Jesus was meant for everyone. But brothers and sisters, it is not enough for us simply to wear a cross. It is not enough for us to have sentimental feelings about a cross. Each of us must choose individually to respond to the Jesus who died on that cross, who became sin for us, just as he chose to die. We must choose to respond to his death by placing our faith in him, asking him to forgive us, asking him to cleanse us, asking him to save us, asking him to give us eternal life, and committing our lives to him. You have to make that choice to give yourself to Jesus Christ. You have to respond. He did his part. Now you must do your part. You have to respond. And you respond by deciding and then acting upon that decision. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation. And I'm going to ask you to come to where Brother Steve Polker, myself, will be standing. And we have decision counselors who are ready to help you. And I'm going to ask you to come to one of us pastors and say, Today I'm responding to Christ. Today I'm giving my life to Jesus and I want to become a disciple of Jesus. I'm making that choice because I am so thankful He died to pay for my sin. So let's stand to our feet. 
The instruments are playing. We'll be singing in just a moment. And I'm asking you to leave where you are seated and make your way to this altar and commit your life to Jesus Christ. Others of you who are Christians need to kneel at this altar and pray, prepare to receive the Lord's Supper. There's sin you need to confess. There are people you need to pray for. There are attitudes you need to make right, things in your life that you need to talk to God about before you take this supper. Some of you need to commit your life not only to Christ, but you need to join this church. Some of you need to ask for baptism. So let's sing together, and we invite you to come to the front. Just start walking right now. Come on, make your decision for Christ. Commit your life to Jesus right now. Come from wherever you are. Come and pray, Christian. Come right now while we sing.